Hebrews 20, 20, we see Jesus, and this is increment 32, and it's entitled, Blepomen Iesun. We see Jesus. I want to start by thanking pastors Craig Brown and Brian Messick for teaching and preaching so effectively. They are truly able ministers of the New Testament. And it's very good to be back in the pulpit. I appreciate the prayers of our phalanx here. I invoke the nuclear option and use the group text for a prayer for Pam due to blood clots following her surgery. And uh, the doctor who found it came in the room a couple days later and said, glad you're still with us. Well, we attribute that to your prayers, your effective prayers, and your perseverance in prayers, and we are continuing to pray for many of you and those in your family that are going through health situations and surgeries, illnesses, and other things like that, as we all ought to be persevering in prayer. I've had lots of time to look at this verse, Hebrews 2.9, and its lead-in in 2.8. And today I want to consider just what does it mean when we say we see Jesus? What does it mean to really see Jesus? And we'll look at this and focus in on this theme, this all-important theme, in our study today, as we continue in our Corona series, part 31, within our Hebrew series, part 42, or increment 42. And Father, we thank you today for the wonderful privilege of being able to assemble together in the Holy of Holies and to receive from you the part that cannot be taken away from us, that eternal part of truly knowing our Savior Christ Jesus. How grateful we are that in your wisdom, you caused this time for us to be apart and yet all all the more together at the throne of grace. Our togetherness is paradoxically increased in our apartness, and we thank you for that. We thank you that this particular phalanx is operative in your extraordinary grace, and we ask that through the message today, your abundant grace will reach many and that you will enact in many a sight, an insight by which we may all truly see Jesus. Show us what this means, Father, for we ask it in his name. Amen. Hebrews 2.8b, second half. And 2.9a reads like this. As things now stand, we are not yet seeing everything in subjection to him. But now, please notice, not yet and now. But now we do see the one who was made inferior to the angels for a little while, Jesus. We don't yet see everything in subjection to humankind. But we do see the divine human being, Jesus, who is the sir of all mankind. This is an acronym that we've been using now for several years, S-I-R, the single inclusive representative of humankind. He is exalted to God's right side, as a pioneer and forerunner for us. The PT interprets the Septuagint of Psalm 8, 5 through 7 in the light of the humiliation and the exaltation of Jesus. In doing so, the writer shows that Jesus is the Sir, single inclusive representative of all of humankind. Jesus is not only the one to whom future world is subjected. But Jesus is the name 
Jesus is the name that the son inherited through completing a successful divine mission. It is a name above all the names of all the angels. That's why all of God's angels worship him. Likewise, that's why every knee of beings in heaven and on earth, under the earth as well, will bow at the saying of the name Jesus and the confession that Yahweh is Yeshua. The Lord is Jesus. Say his name. Yes. But say Jesus with worshipful reverence and with all due respect. We who believe and who confess Jesus as the son of God must maintain social distance. Believe it or not, this is a term used by commentators in Hebrews before the term became popular during a current so-called pandemic. We must maintain social distance, not in terms of physical distance, but in terms of ideological distance from a culture that speaks other names with the reverence that is due only to our Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It's certainly true that we do not see everything in subjection to humankind because future world has not yet fully come. But in this interim, in this what the scripture calls agona, an arena of struggle and contention, it's found in Hebrews 12, 1 through 3, for example. In this agona, at the clash of the ages, in which the night is almost over and the glorious day is at hand, in Romans 13, 12, we do see the sir of all of humankind who himself was made inferior to the angels for a little while, but who is now exalted above the angels, all the angels as a reward of his obedience, which culminated in the death of the cross, something that's going to be very paramount in our study in the near future. Jesus' obedience, the obedience of the Son, S-O-N, was his compliance with God's universally saving will and intention. It led him to experience the incomprehensible bitterness of death, the wages of sin for every single human person over the course of all of time and history. There is no universal transformation that is not in staration, a transformation wrought by the cross, a transformation that is not part of the universal redemptive and reconciling impact of the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. By that, I simply mean there's no new creation without the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's not an accident that Galatians, for example, 6, 14 and 15 are back to back in that epistle. Galatians 6, 14. But as for me, I will never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. And then back to back with Galatians 6.15. For both circumcision and uncircumcision mean nothing. What matters instead is a new creation. What matters 
is a new creation in which there is no male versus female and vice versa. Slave versus free and vice versa. Jew versus Gentile and vice versa. Black versus white and vice versa. Red versus pale face and vice versa, etc., etc., etc. Jesus Christ and him crucified is all that Paul wanted to know and to proclaim. The same is true for this PT who wrote Hebrews. This writer is not very far from Paul's influence, even as those to whom he wrote may very well have originally been a group that was founded and formed as either directly or indirectly a a part of Paul's mission to the world. Once we truly see Jesus, that is, once we have an intelligent grasp, and I hope you will pay careful attention to this message today. Once we have an intelligent grasp of who Jesus is in reality, in fact, who Jesus is as reality, we too want to know nothing and no one apart from him. Nothing and no one disconnected from him. To know anyone, any person, without a reference to Jesus, is really not to know that person. And that includes the person of God the Father. For God is best known as the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to see Jesus is to see the Father. To see Jesus, in fact, in the way we're talking about it in this series, and in the way that the writer is talking about it in Hebrews, to see Jesus is to have had a conversion. It is to no longer see any person after the flesh or from a worldly point of view. This is the conversion that is desperately needed in our own time. While he was a violent, angry persecutor, Paul, according to his own admission, once knew Christ after the flesh, kata sarka, 2 Corinthians 5.16. And that's the way many know Christ today. Because they know Christ only in this way, that is, according to the flesh, and I'll explain a little bit more what that means as we go on. Because they know Christ only in this way, they know people in the same way. After their ethnicity, their skin color, their economic status, or their social caste, their political affiliation or ideology, their gender or their sexual orientation. To know people after the flesh is in fact the root of violence, of cancellation as it's called today, of resentment of bias, of prejudice, of envy, of bitter hatred, and provocative pride and judgmentalism. But when we truly see Jesus as the sir, the single inclusive representative of all human beings, and as the one who takes away the systemic sinfulness of the world and fulfills the destiny of human beings. When we see him this way, we no longer see any person after the flesh. 
When we know, and there is a definite connection, a semantic or meaning connection between to see and to know. When we know Jesus after the flesh, as Paul once did, we may perceive him in any number of ways. As a white man, as a black man, as a Jew, as a carpenter's son, as a historical figure. But when we truly see Jesus, we see all of humanity new in him. All of humanity new, made new in him. Paul spoke of a profound conversion that he underwent. A profound inner conversion that he underwent when he said, Though I once knew Christ after the flesh... I know him that way no more. And when he came to no longer know Christ after the flesh, he stopped knowing anyone that way. He said, from now on, therefore, I, but he used the word we there. It's an associative plural, meaning that this happens not only, or happened not only to Paul, it happened to me. It happens to you. It happens to we, those of us who have the same profound conversion. We regard no one according to the flesh. Then Paul added this. If any person is in Christ, there's the new creation. That comes with a bang. Kinekatesis. Bang. There's the new creation. Big bang. If anyone's in Christ, bang. New creation. What Paul is after here is to show that, in fact, everyone should be viewed as being in Christ and a new creation, even though we with physical eyes don't see that yet. Not yet. If any person is in Christ, there's the new creation. All old associations are no more. They've passed away. All the former reasons to be resentful suspicious, unforgiving, judgmental, or hateful. All the former rationales to harbor group grudges, bitter bias, or pride rooted in ethnicity, genetic heritage, gender, ideology, or political affiliation disappear. That's all the flesh. It's washed away. All labels are washed away in the bath of regeneration. You must, therefore, be born again. This is the case with Paul, and this is the case with all of us who truly see Jesus. Do you know how many millions of people who claim the title Christian need to be born again? They haven't seen Jesus other than as a statue or as an historical figure, as a martyr who died for us. Or maybe even they see him as the so-called son of God. And I say so-called because it's part of their creed, part of their dogma. But have they seen Jesus? Millions call him Lord, Lord. And Jesus said in Luke six forty six to his own generation, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but don't do the things I say? Which is to love one another, primarily, as I have loved you. This is the case with Paul, and this is the case with all of us who truly see Jesus. 
and to know him no longer from a this worldly point of view, a this worldly point of view. The only people that are going to change this world are people with one foot in this world and another foot in the future world. Their forward foot in the future world. This is the conversion that is needed today. Otherwise, this generation will disappear in an atomized mist. And I mean A-T-O-M-I-Z-E-D. An atomized mist. This conversion is needed desperately today. This is the conversion that I need. I need to have it worked in me deeply and consistently, even though I've had this conversion. I need it worked in me deeply and consistently. This is a conversion that I pray will spread its reconciling influence like a worldwide pandemic spreads its disease. When we ask, what does it mean to see, to truly see, to really see Jesus? It means that we perceive him not as a white man, a black man, a Middle Eastern man, a Jew, a carpenter's son, a revolutionary, a political activist, a deceiver, as some say, a lunatic, a prophet among other prophets, just one in a line of prophets. No, we see him as the God-man, the Son of God, the one in whom all the angels are bowing their knees and worshiping him. The one in whom all are made alive. Just as in Adam, they die. In Hebrews 2, 8, and 9, we have two Greek words that mean to see. Both horao and blepo. Horao in verse 8 and blepo in verse 9. They can be used interchangeably pretty much, and they both generically mean to see but which also have the meanings of mental perception or grasp, comprehension or understanding. We do not yet see horao, H-O-R-A-O, everything under the feet of humanity because the age to come has not yet fully come. We do not perceive that everything is subjected to humankind. We see, in fact, that sin and the flesh and death and the spirit of this age is in control of the vast majority of humanity. Indeed, sinfulness is systemic in all of humanity. It infests and affects the whole body of humanity and is in all its systems and all its ideologies. To see in the way that see is used means that we can naturally observe, in Hebrews 2.8, we can naturally observe just by empirical observation that future world has not yet fully arrived on earth. Not yet. Upa. O-U-P-O. Upo. This declaration has the explicit temporal adverb upo, O-U-P-O, that means not yet. Upo is back-to-back with the temporal adverb nun, N-U-N, meaning now. There we have both halves of an oft-used theological formula, now and not yet. That describes the eschatological state of things. 
Though now Jesus is exalted and everything is subjected to him in future world. We here on earth and in this evil age do not yet see all things subjected to him. But now in the ongoing present, we do see Jesus. Blepomen Yesun. Blepo, B-L-E-P, long O. Can have the sense of being awakened or enabled to see. Again, awakened or enabled to truly perceive and to apprehend or grasp something or someone. To truly see Jesus in the same sense that this PT is describing him is not to have discovered the historical Jesus. It is rather that which physicist Wolfgang Smith describes as, quote, a vertical and therefore instantaneous act. To see in this sense is when, for example, an argument or a point in a debate is seen all at once or not at all. To see Jesus is to see him in that sense all at once or it's not to see him at all. To know him after the flesh is not to see him at all. It's not even to see who he is. (laughs) In the case of seeing Jesus, this is how I would describe it. I would define seeing as a vertical act in that it is an action initiated and enabled from above, from God who is in heaven. By this divinely initiated act of our enabled intellect, we see Jesus all at once in his true essence. Jesus as who he is in the divine view and in the divine estimation of his significance. This is my son in whom I am completely pleased. You may not be completely pleased with him, but it's only because you do not see him. To see Jesus as the result of a vertically enabled act of our intellect is to see him as the totality of divinity and of humanity and of all creation. The alternative is that we do not see him at all. To see Jesus as the unbelieving people of his own time saw him as merely, quote, Joseph's son, close quote, or, quote, the son of the carpenter, close quote, Luke 44, 22 to 29, Matthew 13, 55 to 57. Well, that's not to see Jesus at all. In one case, those who knew him that way drove him out of their town. And we're ready to push him over a cliff. So much for knowing Jesus after the flesh. In another, in fact, people who famously want to renounce their Christian profession, it is most probably because they have never seen Jesus. What they're really saying is they're tired of the morality that they think Christianity espouses. They're tired of towing the line. They don't want to have any authority representing any responsibility to them. So they want to make defunct every system of authority. (laughs) 
In another case, those who knew him that way were scandalized and became bitterly angry. They were offended by him. Matthew 13, 57a. To know Jesus in that way is to see him that way, which is to not see him at all. To see him or not to know him only after the flesh. Let me put it this way. When we see him or know him only after the flesh. Is not to see him at all. It's not to know him at all. To see him or to know him only after the flesh is to hold him ultimately to be without honor. And that means not to know him or to see him at all. But to truly see him is to be awakened to see him as the son of God. As the centurion and those who were with him saw the crucified Jesus in close proximity to his cross. Without social distance to Jesus, they said, this man really was God's son. Matthew 27, 54. To call Jesus a con man as one unintelligent politician in New York recently did only reveals that she has not seen Jesus at all. She doesn't see reality at all, in fact. To call Jesus a black revolutionary, as one popular leader recently did, reveals that this man has not seen Jesus at all, even though he calls him my Lord and Savior. He hasn't seen Jesus at all. When people who believe in the evil of white supremacy see Jesus as some Caucasian exemplar, they don't see Jesus at all. In both cases, violence usually arises from their lack of seeing him. People who are active in social or political movements and who claim the title or the identity Christian, but who have not really seen Jesus at all and who know him only after the flesh, become blind leaders of the blind And both the leaders and the followers are headed for the ditch, a ditch called Gehenna. In other words, they are headed, along with their movements, toward destruction. When the Greeks came to Philip and they wanted to see Horao, Jesus, they meant that they wanted an audience with him. But Jesus' reply to them was the wisdom of the word of the cross. He said, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains by itself. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. John 12, 24. What he's saying is to see me is to see me crucified. To see Jesus is to see him having died, having been buried, and having arisen to bring forth a universal harvest. If they had just seen Jesus, they would have known him after the flesh. But to know him after that word is to see him truly. No one knows the Son, Jesus said. Except the Father. Now, if no one knows the Son except the Father, that tells me that the only way I know the Son is to know the Son as the Father knows him. No one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son. And anyone to whom the Son desires to reveal him. Matthew eleven twenty seven. Unless the Father reveals the Son. Now listen to these words. You may wake up in the morning and consult your news app. 
You may wake up in the morning and consult and give attentiveness to bad news. You may wake up in the morning and hear all kinds of things. I wake up in the morning and I want to hear this truth and read this truth and study this word. Now, listen up. Unless the father reveals the son, we don't know him as we ought. Unless our seeing of Jesus derives from a vertical causality, to use physicist Wolfgang Smith's language. Unless we see Jesus with a causation from God, we don't know him at all. And we should probably stop pretending. We know him only after the flesh. Kata Sarka. And this is really not to know him at all. To know Christ the Messiah. The son of the living God. Is the result of the father's revelation. Of him. And that. Is to really. See. Jesus. This kind of seeing is by the gift of an intellect, which, again, to use Wolfgang Smith's words, quote, does not operate in time, but in what has been termed the nunc stans, N-U-N-C, other word S-T-A-N-S, which simply means the eternity. Smith then wrote, quote, for the intellect is indeed the eye of the soul, By which we see. It is the part. As Plato says. Which pertains to eternity. To see Jesus therefore. This is my words. My conclusion. To see Jesus is to perceive the part. That pertains to eternity. To truly see him is to know him as. The God man. To see therefore is to have an intelligent grasp on the reality of a thing or a person. Not to see is to look and look, but not really grasp. To study and scrutinize, but not truly know, truly know and really understand. Not to see means not to understand. It is to fulfill the prophecy of Isaiah. Quoted by Jesus in Matthew thirteen fourteen b You will look and look, blepo and blepo, but never really perceive. If we think we know anything, we know nothing yet as we ought to. Looking and looking, studying and scrutinizing doesn't mean we understand. This even pertains to the study of the scriptures. We can pore over them daily, but still not come to see Jesus in them. Truly seeing and really perceiving Jesus is not a horizontally caused act from human teacher to human student. Or even from reading the Bible. It is a vertically caused act, just as all of creation is not horizontally, but vertically caused. Now, I may be using Wolfgang Smith's terminology in a different way than he did, but I think vertical causation is a term that can be applied to any act or action of God. To see Jesus is to have a blessed understanding. If anyone boasts, let him boast that he understands and knows that I am the Lord who does mercy and judgment and righteousness on the earth. For in these things I delight, says the Lord. That's Jeremiah 9.24, LXX 9.23. To see Jesus is to have an intelligent grasp 
of who God is. God is intelligible, we might say, knowable in Jesus. More specifically, God is intelligible in Jesus Christ and him crucified. Check out John 8, 28 with 1 Corinthians 2, 2. The true God is a crucified and risen God. The true God not only suffered for us all, for us all. He suffers with us all in all our sufferings. He does so as a merciful and faithful high priest. Hebrews 2.17 and 18. Hebrews 4.15. The moment we see Jesus. Really see him. Truly see him. Is a moment out of time. It is a moment in eternity. It is a moment in which we are transported out of time to continue to see Jesus is to be oriented to eternity out of time it is in fact to be with the one who is of a crushed spirit who is exalted now to the right hand of the majesty the high and lofty one in heaven who inhabits eternity Read and truly meditate on Isaiah 57, 15, and you may see Jesus. You can compare that with Hebrews 1, 3, Hebrews 8, 1, Hebrews 12, 1 to 3, and many other passages. To see Jesus is to see people, not as objects like trees walking around. It is to see all people clearly. It is to see all people out of time and in the eternal Son of God. If I really see Jesus, I see all people clearly. While I am seeing Jesus with my mind stayed on him, I cannot hate. While I'm not seeing him at all, I am prone to hate. Inclined to react, constantly provoked to anger in reaction to the provocative arrogance of our time, rather than move to persevere in prayer. Faith in Jesus. Now listen carefully. This is important. I don't care how long this message goes today. Faith in Jesus merely as a historical figure is not the kind of faith that the Bible commends. This is evident, for example, throughout Hebrews 11.1 through 12.3. That chapter should not end at 11.40, but 12.3. Just as the revelation of the Son of God is a vertically caused event, in the intellect and human spirit of a human person. So the evoking of faith in the Son of God is also a vertically caused event. As the Father reveals the Son, so the Holy Spirit evokes faith in the Son of God. The Father reveals the Son, the Spirit evokes faith in the Son. The Son of God. As the Father reveals the Son, it is the Holy Spirit who evokes faith. Just as it is the Father and no one of flesh and blood who reveals to us his Son, so it is the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and no human witness who evokes faith in Jesus as the Son of God. So it is also by the Holy Spirit that we say Jesus is Lord. No one can say that from the heart. 
in its true essence apart from the spirit. First Corinthians 12, three. Peter at Caesarea Philippi is a case in point that illustrates this. He blurted out to Jesus, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. In reply to that outburst, Jesus said, how blessed you are, Simon, son of Jonah, because no human being, no flesh and blood revealed this to you. But my father in heaven, Matthew 16, 16 to 17, the Bible does not speak approvingly of faith in the historical Jesus, but of faith in the son of God. Faith that is only evoked when the revelation of the Son is given to the one who believes and who then believes as an act evoked by the Spirit of grace. By grace are you saved and through a faith that's not of yourselves. Jesus is not merely a historic figure of whose imaginary image people make statues. Jesus is God. He is the self-revelation of the Father and the visible radiance of the Father's invisible glory. Jesus is is God made intelligible in a man. In the man, Christ Jesus, the only mediator between God and all of humanity, who gave himself as a ransom for all. I speak against the damnable influences of our time that seek to divide and be divisive and mix us up into a bunch of tribes that hate one another. Not only is God intelligible or knowable in the man Christ Jesus, all of humanity is truly intelligible only in Jesus. Just as humanity is ultimately intelligent by having the mind of Jesus Christ. Without Christ, humanity is an unintelligible, fragmented entity consisting of disparate groups and segregated and polarized individuals at odds with each other and controlled and moved by the spirit of the evil age who educates them either by osmosis or sometimes by downright, outright indoctrination with this hateful philosophy and moves them in ideologies that try to heap guilt and intimidation and fear on people. Division and violence, often in the name of peace. They say peace, peace, when there is no peace in their agenda. Anger always seems to be the disposition of those who know Jesus merely after the flesh. I'm angry today at ideologies, not at people. But anger always seems to be the disposition, anger against other people. The disposition of those who know Jesus merely after the flesh, who know him not at all, really, and who believe in him not at all. But the anger of human beings never has, never does, never will achieve the righteous purpose of God, which is reconciliation. James 1, 20, 2 Corinthians 5, 19 to 21 Colossians 1.20. A real confession of Jesus as the Son of God may not have anger, but it will have some passion. A true creed is not handed down as a list of dogmatic beliefs. A real creed is the living and active acknowledgement of who Jesus is according to a divine revelation. It is hard to relate a written creed with passion. But it's impossible to relate a revelation without passion. When angry Saul of Tarsus, that is pre-conversion Paul, was devoted to the destruction of the community of God. 
He was by his own admission acting in ignorance and unbelief. 1 Timothy 1.13. At the same time, he was blameless according to the law. Philippians 3.6. But the same law, hijacked by sin, worked wrath or created anger in him in Romans 4.15. He persecuted those whom he perceived to be violating the law for which he was so fanatically zealous. He persecuted the very community of God while thinking he was doing God a service. His behavior was predicted by Jesus in John 16 too. We may be sure that ideological zealots in our own time have used violence and will do so again and again until they come to their own Damascus moment. Paul persecuted in anger, even with a murderous impulse, which controlled him in Acts 9.1, while knowing Christ at the same time, knowing Christ after the flesh, and people after the flesh which is not knowing Christ at all and not knowing people at all. He persecuted the church of God while not seeing Jesus. You can't see Jesus in the way that Hebrews presents him and remain in a fundamental disposition of anger or envy or hatred or unforgiveness. By the vertical causation of the spirit of grace, your fundamental disposition will be love. For the Holy Spirit pours out the love of God in our hearts. Now we may say, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. But if we operate in an ideology of hate, we have not seen Jesus. Even though we may claim him as our Lord. We call him Lord, Lord. Oh, he's my Lord and Savior. But we don't do what he told us to do. Through the power that he gives to us to do it. He told us to love one another. He said, love one another as I have loved you. We have to stop merely claiming to be Christians. And start truly seeing Jesus. If we hate all cops... Or loathe the military. We don't see Jesus. Who saw extraordinary faith in a Roman centurion. If we despise all authority. From that of parents. All the way to constitutionally established governments. We don't see Jesus who said render to Caesar what's due to Caesar. And to God what is due God. If we say we are committed to one racial group or another, and we hate our parents or our family members or former friends who may not fully understand our distorted position. We don't see Jesus. The Marxist view of Jesus is not to see Jesus at all. Oh, how important it is that we really see Jesus as reality himself. As the reality of God and the reality of humanity, and that we see Him all at once and with 2020 vision of the eye of our soul. May God bring about in us the eternal part. That's the part that won't be taken away from Mary and won't be taken away from us. And I speak of Mary of Bethany and of Jesus' words about her in Luke 10. 41 to 42. Oh, that we would have this part that will never be taken away from us, this eternal part. May he bring this about as an act of vertical causation in this generation and in the generations of our children and of our grandchildren. This is my fervent prayer. I pray that it avails much because of the righteousness of God, which I have and which you have as a gift of his grace.
Now, in closing today, and I know people don't like to hear the word closing, or some people do because they say, finally, he's getting done. Others say, darn, I was actually into this. This series of teaching in Hebrews is my attempt by the indispensable grace of the Holy Spirit to keep before us a vision of Jesus. Without this vision, the people of this nation and of this generation, mark it down, will perish. No, mark this down. They are perishing. The cancel culture is canceling itself out. It's going off the rails. If things continue as they are, they will disappear in an atomized mist. A-T-O-M-I-Z-E-D. The end of disunity is atomization. The end of unity, or the goal of unity, is solidarity of Jesus with humanity and humanity with Jesus in God. With this vision, on the other hand, this generation will experience a conversion which will right the train on its tracks and lead history into a general, not just an economic, but a general uptrend and out of a deadly downtrend. I'm speaking of a vision in which we see Jesus as the reality of God and at once as the reality of humanity and even at once as the reality of all the new creation. As the single inclusive representative of all of humanity in the dignity and glory of its eschatological, soteriological, Christological, anthropological destiny as the reality of such a great and universal salvation. That's Jesus. Those who truly see Jesus are the redeemers of time in evil days in Ephesians 5.16. They have the potential to be the blessed peacemakers who will be called sons of God in Matthew 5, 9 because they will be imitators of the Son of God, of Jesus who is our peace in Ephesians 2, 14 and who has broken down the middle wall of partition that separates one group from another making one new humanity. I said one new humanity. Ephesians 2.15. So when we say be intelligent, that's what we mean. Be intelligent by having an intelligent grasp of who and what Jesus is. Be intelligent by seeing Jesus. He, the eternal Son of God, came to give us an understanding, says 1 John 5.20, in a very climactic verse. An understanding that we would know the one true and real God and to know that we are in him because we are in Jesus Christ. This is the true and the real God, and this is eternal life. First John 5:20 compared with John 17:3. This eternal life may be laid hold of and lived even now. First Timothy 6:12. And then when he comes with the power to restore all things, this life will be lived then completely and forever. To see Jesus is to be intelligent, yes, with the mind of Christ. To be reasonable and to do a reasonable service, which is to offer our bodies as a sacrifice to him, a living sacrifice to him. To be responsible, for we must all give an account to the Lord. And most of all, to be in love. To keep seeing Jesus is to build ourselves up on the most holy faith, to pray perseveringly in the Holy Spirit, and to keep ourselves in the love of God, as Pastor Craig Brown said so gently and yet so forcefully in his message of July 5th. Father, thank you for this opportunity. 
Father, may this generation and the one to follow have the vision to truly see Jesus and therefore not to perish. We ask this in Jesus' name. And Father, bless this study called Hebrews 2020 as we continue on by your grace and by your permission into verse 9 and beyond. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.